0: Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Table Manners for Robots. This is now episode five in our second series, which we call Unite for Small. Unite for Small is a series that is dedicated to uplifting small to medium businesses in South Africa in any way uh, we can through the use of clever tips, tricks, advice from experts in order to help small businesses get through the difficulty in our post-pandemic times. On that note, it is with pleasure that I introduce our Um, guests for today. And our guests, again, are experts in their respective fields. They come with a tremendous amount of experience in helping customers. So they're going to give us practical tips, practical insights, on the ground guidance, not uh, theoretical stuff from a textbook. So with that in mind, um, let's go to um, Mike, first of all. Mike, please tell us
1: a little bit about your background. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I was born and raised in Pretoria, I decided after high school, I didn't know really what I wanted to do, so I decided to go to hospitality industry, as my father owned a restaurant. Um, busy with my studies in hospitality management. I started to focus on hospitality management systems. From there, once I got out of my studies, I was lucky enough to get into a global organization that allowed me to travel the world and install in hospitality management systems. Um, In 2008, the global downturn hit Europe quite hard. So I returned back to SA and started my ERP career and haven't looked back since.
0: Sounds like quite a whirlwind of a career. Um, It's interesting that you wound up in systems in hospitality. Um, There's lots of exciting things to do in hospitality. So it's very interesting that you took the system uh, route all right, let's go to Ian. Ian, tell us a little bit about your
2: background. Hi, Christian. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I grew up on a, on a farm in, in Northwest Province uh, and I was lucky enough to, in my lifetime, be exposed to both analog as well as digital technology. Now, back in the day, connecting to the inter- was, internet was still music to your ears um, uh, because of the, you know, that, the, the modem that, that you would connect and it would make that little, little noise. So after school, I decided to pursue further studies at the University of Pretoria and and it it took me a bit longer than expected. But I eventually got the very expensive receipt as proof that I was there. Um, My my dad then encouraged me and he actually challenged me and he said, um, you know, if you if you go and do your honours and you complete that within 12 months, I'll pay for it. So basically challenge accepted. Um, but soon after that, you know, I started to to get darts, and you say, what if, what if it, it happens because my track record wasn't that good at the university? So I, that steered me towards the job market, um, and I ended up uh, getting a teaching position at one of the local high schools where um, I taught business economics and, and accounting. But, but after six months, you know, I, I just decided that this this is not for me. I don't want to. I don't want to stick around there. But I did, and. Um, that brought me to, to actually get to know Saved Business One um, and I fell in love with the product head over heels, and that love affair hasn't ended since. <laughs> you know, I don't
0: know quite how to respond to the idea that you've um, got a love affair with a piece of software, but uh, being that this <laughs> is Table Manners for Robots, I think, you know, it's, um, it's par for the course. Uh, I really like the, uh, the, the fact that you've had experience as a teacher and that you've um, you know, wound up uh, working with software. It's just a very interesting journey. So thanks for that. All right, so um, let's go back to you, Mike, for a second. Uh, I know that you mentioned the hospitality industry and systems, but what made you specialize in this area of technology?
1: So coming out of, of hospitality management systems, um, you see the impact on people, as Ian spoke about, it's the impact of people uh, having on life and all that. Um, but with management systems and hospitality, it had a bit of an impact on customers and the organization overall. So from there, I started to spread my wings and decided I wanted to focus a little more on other industries. Um, so I started looking at ways to get it and I spoke to my brother and he said, you no, get into ERP. So I started looking at ERP and that where I found my love affair, as Ian said, love affair. And you mentioned as well, love affair for a piece of software. I think the love affair comes in, it, it's a true relationship at the end of the day, because it either hates you one day or it loves you the other day. But at the end of the day, you come out with a a fantastic uh, platform for your clients. And from there, it came out to be, I enjoyed working with my clients. I enjoyed the fact that giving them a solution that helped their business. And when when your customer succeeds, you succeed. And that's what I, I enjoyed. And that's what I enjoy about my role now is bringing solutions to my customer and watching them grow. It gets, it's my passion now to help customers find a solution that is not too hurtful for the business or not hurtful at all, but helps them at the end of the day. It's a complimentary. And it's what drives me to get out of bed to provide solutions and get my customers growing.
0: Right. Um, very, very interesting um, insights there. Um, folks, we have two guests on our show who are claiming that they are in love with technology. This may or may not be a problem, but let's have a look as we continue. Um, one of the best parts about the show, as we are told in, in in your feedback, is that you love the fact that you have the opportunity to participate live in the show. You can send um, questions via the Q&A box. You can send comments and feedback via the chat box. And at any given point, I will incorporate your comments and questions into our live discussion. That's the best part about attending the show live. So make the best use of that facility, Um, get online, share your comments, even if it's just a quick thought or idea or just a random comment, feel free to just go and make sure that you're part of this conversation, um, interact and participate with our panelists as much as you can. On that note, um, I'd just like, uh, Mike, for you to just do a quick um, explanation there. You mentioned the term ERP, and I certainly don't want to take for granted that everyone understands what ERP
1: is. Do you mind just giving us a quick answer? What is ERP? So ERP in layman's term terms, in in the market term, is enterprise resource planning. Um, It's an integrated system, so it offers many functions. And there's many out there on the market at the moment. All right.
0: Okay, so basically it's your um, end-to-end um, system for managing a business. So uh, obviously a business, the core of the business is to transact financially. So that's your financials and then you have all of the associated activities which can affect the financials of the company. And then ERP is, is a platform to bring all of those different functions together. So, the, so that's great. Um, for those of you who don't know what ERP is, feel free to put your questions in the chat box. If you want further explanation, ask us questions. You are more than you are invited to interrogate us a little bit. All right. So let's go to Ian. And Ian, tell, tell me, uh, you have alluded to this, but if you could give us just a little bit more insight in terms of what made you specialize in this uh, area of technology. Well, Christian, I was,
2: I was always interested in, in business since a little, as, as a young kid. Um, I had my own little spaza shop on the farm um, that provided all the essentials to, to the farm workers. Um, and I had to, to go and um, you know, put forward the, the reason for my spaza shop so that I could get the funding from my dad. Um, so he was my, he was my first investor at that point in time. So main reason because I wanted to be like my dad because he was a businessman as well. Um, along with with his two brothers, um, he was an owner and manager, uh, and responsible for for the production line of a brickyard that produced clay bricks. And then on weekends, he would then sort out the farm. So that was one of my main reasons for for you know being interested in business so much. So this is where I learned first and how important uh, processes and and systems are to provide structure to people's lives. Um, but. For, for them, they were not that fortunate as businesses are today with the with the systems that that we have. So getting into this area of technology was was simple for me, and it made so much sense, um, and it afforded me to the opportunity to take uh, the solution uh, to the masses for you know small businesses out there because. Um, I really believe that small businesses need uh, uh, systems as well that, that allow them to grow and, and to exceed. And like Michael said as well, there's this something that you want to provide your customer to, to make a difference in, in, in their lives at the end of the day. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you have this, um, this core
0: of um, or this uh, you know, bloodline and stock of being very entrepreneurial where you got money from your dad and you set up your own spaza mm-hmm. shop, as you described. I really love that. Um, and I love the fact that because of that, I know that you would have an appreciation for what a small business out there goes through. And a lot of times I find that small businesses, when we have dialogue, when we have discussions with small businesses, we find that there's a hesitation in their part. To reach out to suppliers and to reach out to mo- to, to the very corporate or expert um, professional services providers because they feel, but we're too we are too small. You know, we're just a spaza mm. shop or we're just a you know our little thing. Like it's we're not a, we're not big enough to reach out for professional services help. So it's really good to have to <clears> have <throat> you um, you know discuss from that vantage point. So on that note, I would like to go a little bit deeper. You know, you know, let's talk about the situation in South Africa right now. Obviously, uh, small businesses, uh, medium businesses are going through quite a lot. There's there's quite a, uh, a big difference between the experience of a small business and a big business during these very difficult times. Um, what is your take on the plight of small businesses right now?
2: Well, it's it's tough times there out there at the moment, and it, and it's it's not easy for small businesses. But um, but but even before the arrival of COVID, the country has been in a recession, You're make, making it difficult for small businesses to keep their heads above water. Um, and that is why it's so important to, to be able to have the correct information at your fingertips um, to make bold decisions. Because in our current situation, that is what's required. So, so SMEs need to make those bold decisions to, to, to survive. Um, I read an article in, in the Daily Maverick the other day, and it indicated that 68% of, of our SMEs that applied for the, the government relief funding um, were unsuccessful. So, that makes it even more difficult, because um, we've also seen that um, many businesses don't have the cash flow to actually sustain them for, for longer than three months. Um, and, and basically, there, there's a downturn in, in the global economy as well, and that affects South Africa severely. Um, but there are other factors also out there that influence the growth of, of small businesses, um, and like the VAT registration threshold, for example. Um, So that's why it's very important as well to have a system that can actually help you and assist you to exactly know when you get to that threshold or to warn you before you get to that threshold so you can go and do your VAT registration at the end of the day. But um, hopefully it gets revised. Uh, Our our finance minister did make some promises in in the budget speech the other day to say that they were going to look at that and and, and do some revision on that. Um, And then you also have your your, uh, tax, um, corporate tax, high corporate tax out there. Um, that also affects small businesses at the end of the day, because uh, the, the money that they have to pay out to taxes, they could actually use um, to to apply towards growth at the end of the day and strengthening the, the, the cash flow position. Um, and one of the major things is that many small businesses, like you mentioned before, uh, Christian, is that they think they are too small. Um, and I think it's it's really time for small businesses to start thinking big. Um, and, and to start in, engaging with digital platforms because we, many of us thought that the, the development of this was, was based for the future, but we were actually thrusted um, into a situation with COVID where this digital platform of business was, was becoming the only platform um, to do business on. So if you are a small business, you know, I dread to think what would happen if you don't start adopting digital platforms with your business. Um, it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be very severe. But um, it's not all doom and gloom out there, um, if, if you think of it, because our entrepreneurs um, and our small businesses are very resilient. Um, if you look at the example of, of Bottles, that's that uh, alcohol delivery app. Um, these guys were, were put in a very, very, uh, uh, bad position because of the alcohol ban in the country. Um, but they, they quickly reacted to that risk and they used it to their advantage because they started negotiating with uh, some of the uh, um, retail stores out there uh, and now they're, they're delivering food as well. So the, the main thing is there that that as a small business, you need to react um, to these changes in the market and use it to your advantage at the end of the day, even though, if, if, even though it's stuff out there. Hmm. And I know that you're saying to use um,
0: these situations to uh, one's advantage. The reality is that when you present that sequence of, um, you know, data points, the fact that uh, there's quite a large percentage of um, COVID relief applications that have been declined by the government. There's also, you know, many other factors currently that are, are creating excessive pressure on a set of businesses that by your own admission have, uh, you know, very limited cash flow to carry beyond three months. So taking all of these factors into account, it does sound a bit bleak. I mean, I I, I want to pick up on this point a little bit more. Um, Sam here is asking a question. He says, uh, you know, what should you prioritize as a small business? Developing systems or waiting for an upturn in the economy as finances are tight? I want to just give my knee-jerk response uh, to that in line with what you've said. You know, you did say that the opportunity is there and we need to look for it. In In my estimate, taking into account that there's so much pressure whether it's from the tax man, whether it is from, uh, you know, uh, less disposable income in the market, whether it's from other constraints that have been imposed on the execution of your business because of COVID. No matter what, we are now in a situation where small businesses are being very, uh, they have to be very precision in the way they manage the practice or the business, because uh, margins are limited, things are tight, we we don't have as much play in the system. So in my estimate, and I'm just going to give a knee-jerk reaction here to Sam, and that is that, you know, as much as we may say, oh, my goodness, you know, spending a little bit on a system is is actually, uh, you know, a little bit scary to do because, um, you know, cash flow is tight, as we're discussing. But I can't see how a business is going to survive in the absence of a system. Of mm-hmm. course, as long as it's the right, right. system and we are not being foolish about it, I don't see how a business is going to survive in the absence of the right investment. So, for me, this is a case of when you look at the business arena today, it's a case of you either… You know, if you can't take a, if you can't take the heat, then get out the kitchen. If you can't make that little bit of extra investment, then might as well just fold and give up now, because there's no way you're going to be able to run a business effectively in the absence of a system. I mean, that's the that's the extreme degree that I've gone to in working with small businesses and dialoguing with a lot of business owners. I see how meticulous management of margins using correct data monitoring actual data not just listening to you know the 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 rumor mill from the newspaper but actually observing your own data points this is the time when data is critical and monitoring your business with precision is critical for survival's sake so it's hard to survive in the absence of the right systems obviously at the right price point you know smart investments not just um blind spending so that's my knee jerk I'm, i'm not sure ian whether you have anything to add to the to my my rant
2: yeah, Christian, I, I agree with you there because, I mean, you have to think of what is the risk or, or what is the, um, the cost of not investing um, in that. Um, so if, if you don't have the correct system, I mean, sooner or later, the cigarette box accounting is going gonna, is gonna to cause some problem for you. I mean, if you, if your pack of 30 is, is done and your wife throws away your cigarette box where you had all the information on the back, um, you're going to be in some serious trouble. Um, so, yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay, good. so um, so Ian,
0: let's just uh, let's just keep the conversation going here. Let's talk about regulation a little bit more. Uh, you know, with all of the challenges that's occurring with all of the surprises in the market, are the regulated industries in our country are they employing stricter controls or more more relaxed controls at this stage?
2: Well, I think under the current situation, uh, deregulation is is not on the cards. Um, so we are seeing more stricter regulations put in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with COVID as well, you, you, you're you seeing per industry, um, some of these industries that weren't even regulated before now have to adhere to certain regulations, especially under COVID. Um so there were a couple of companies that saw the um, opportunity in the PPE market um, and they, they started jumping on, on that bandwagon. But if you go into this PPE market, you have to be, uh, you know, very uh, um, certain that you adhere to all the regulations that, that cover that market because for PPE, you've got the, the, the different um, uh, equipment, you've got the masks, you've got... Uh, You've got gloves, you've got sanitizers and disinfectants, um, and each of those products fall under a different regulation. So if you do cloth masks um, for for ordinary sentences where you don't do that N95 uh, uh, mask, then that is not as regulated. So so you would be fine if you you take your current production environment and, and convert it and do that. But if you go into the surgical and respiratory side of the mask, you have to make sure that you... You know what the the Medicines and and Related Substance Act uh, uh, says. You have to adhere to the occupational health and safety. um, And and then you also have to adhere to the the health product regulation authority where you have to make sure that you register and and that you comply with all those regulations. Um, So seek advice, make sure that you comply at the end of the day, and and don't go and do something that will get you into big trouble. yeah, so I, I do see stricter regulations coming into, into play Yeah, Very interesting. So for a lot of the folk who
0: are rightfully, and I do support this, who are, you know, trying to, uh, for lack of a better term, cash in on the PPE opportunity for those who have gone in and created um, uh, some uh, products and services inside that area, uh, what we're saying is that. They, they are evolving regulation. It's definitely not being relaxed. And in fact, we do need to read some of the fine print to make sure that we can adhere to this, um, to the regulation and that we can afford to adhere to the regulation. And that needs to obviously be backwards baked into the price. It's not just a quick get rich, uh, quick scheme where we just go and cash in
2: and run away. Right, Ian? Ian, mm-hmm. yeah, that's correct. Uh, and and on, and on top of that, I mean, the, the COVID regulations that we still fall under, we've got the curfew, um, rule that still applies and, and that also affects small businesses in, in, a, in a bad way because especially the the, the restaurant industry and, and the entertainment, entertainment industry but yeah the, it's not a it's not a quick thing so make sure that uh, that you adhere to the regulations um, but even even non-regulated industries now fall under under regulations so just you know make okay. sure you comply at the end of the day I mean that's an interesting point. That
0: last uh, sentence of yours. So, um, just if you wouldn't mind expanding on that, uh, are there any regu-
2: new regulations that we don't know about? Well, I think at the at the moment, um, the Poppy Act was was introduced. Um, it came into force on the first of July. Um, but I think with all the COVID news and 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 the different levels and people sitting on the edge of their seats to see which level we we're going to go next. The whole Poppy Act, um, I think, was overclouded. So I don't know if if, if everyone realizes that um, that each business, since from the 1st of July, each business out there has 12 months to fully comply with with the Poppy Act. Um, and contraventions of these act can lead to, to to some serious issues. You can you can get jail time, um, or you, you can get fined up to to 10 million rand. So if you're a small business um, and and that happens to you, that you're you're basically going to close your doors. Um, and then, from a food perspective, um, we, we, we were actually in a very fortunate position uh, in our country um, because there were already advanced regulations uh, to protect us. Due to um, I don't know if you guys can recall the Bologna plague outbreak that we had, aka listeriosis, in, in twenty seventeen. Um, this this forced uh, the the food industry to have more stricter regulations in, uh, implemented. Um, just to to uh, you know mention some of these. Um, when you have a production and you, you're busy with food, uh, there's a, they have to implement a cleaning schedule for the food preparation space. Um, you know, Detailing who cleans, where it, gets, where it gets cleaned, how it gets cleaned and, and, and what they actually clean. Um, and on top of that, they have to use color coding um, to separate the different areas. For instance, you've got the, the production area and then you've got the front of house area. And you have to color code your cleaning material with those areas. For example, you can't go and use your blue color-coded equipment to go and clean the red area or or, or vice versa. So you have to be very, very uh, uh, diligent with that. And then um, you also only have to use SANS-approved cleaning chemicals for that. And and there was also then a two-step cleaning um, that needed to be followed. First, you had to degrease, so basically removing all of the, the protein buildup, and then disinfect where you remove bacteria uh, or in this case, that any virus um, at a m- microscopic level. So, so those stations already, you know, assisted us with uh, with COVID when we went into that on, on the on the food side, um, and then just from from a food and vegetable producer point of view. Um, you have to be at least compliant with a the, with the global GAP, which is good agricultural practices. Otherwise, you, you aren't allowed to actually sell globally or locally. So, yeah, so there, there are some, some rules out there that, that, that we need to comply with at the end of the day.
0: You know, this is very interesting, <clears> um, Ian. You, you mentioned many things in that answer. You mentioned heavy regulation. You mentioned um, the fact that listeriosis was po- possibly, who knows, a bit of a good setup. Uh, Pre COVID, um, you also mentioned penalties, jail time, um, all of these scary uh, things associated with working in a regulate, uh, regulated um, industry. So, just candidly, should small businesses, in the face of tight cash flow, should we just abandon regulated industries and just you know um, move on, or should we hold on?
2: Well, yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. But as always, um, it's challenging times for entrepreneurs and uh, you don't become an entrepreneur if you don't want to take on challenges. Um, like you mentioned before, if you can't take the heat, you know, get out of the kitchen. Um, but we're all challenged to find new ways of doing business uh, while still complying. Um, some might find other opportunities altogether. Like, I mean, if you if you look at the, the Bottles app guys, they, they found a, a, a different opportunity, um, you know, amidst all these uh, regulations that are out there. Um, and then in some areas, new technologies might change a uh, complete industry, regulated or not. So I personally think that, that they, should, they should hold on. Um, there might be, be challenging or challenges with adhering to these regulations, and there might be costs involved. But um, w- with a smaller organization, a small business, um, compared to bigger organizations, um, small businesses are, are a lot more agile. Um, and at the end of the day, passion is key. Uh, is it your passion as an entrepreneur to be in that industry? Um, and, and smaller businesses can adopt a lot quicker. Um, and, and I think, like I mentioned before, it's time for small business to, to, to start thinking big um, and not be scared of this. Um, get, get, get the right systems in place uh, that will assist you with, with compliance. Um, and, and I don't see any reason why you should get out of an, an industry that is, that is heavily regulated. Thanks
0: for that, uh, Ian. And that does, in fact, give us all hope. So on that note, we have a, a comment here from Solomon. He says, it sounds really valuable. Um, I have learned more. Okay, thanks uh, for that, Solomon. Um, Mike, I just want to let you know that we have not forgotten about you. Um, (laughs) No, it's fine. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about market opportunity here. And before we get into that question, I just want a quick reminder to all of our delegates, our attendees, please participate. Keep sending these wonderful comments and questions through. There's a lot of stuff coming through. We are making sure we go through all of them. And we will, in fact, ensure that every bit of your comments and feedback is taken into account before we move on. All right. So back to you, Mike. Um, if cool. you could
1: open a new business today, what business would that be and why? So coming off Ian's question about taking risks and, and being passionate about it, I would say looking at where we are now post-COVID or in COVID and where we're heading to post-COVID, <clears throat> the build-up to COVID with SME market, um, I would say drop shipping. Uh, when people hear drop shipping, they go, oh, no, Wish, or they go Alibaba, or they go all the big ones, eBay and Take-A-Lot. I would say shift your focus in drop shipping away from the international markets. Um, we all know the tough times we have been getting uh, par- uh, post into the country, uh, parcels. I think a friend of mine placed something on Wish at the beginning of COVID. We hope it's not a scam. Everybody hopes Wish is not a scam. Um, yeah. Who can who can really not refuse that one dollar item? Uh, but we're still waiting for that. To come through, but I, I believe drop shipping in South Africa has still got a long way to come. I think it's a, a market in this country now with COVID that is an opportunity out there. Um, let's let's focus on this, our our colleagues, our business partners out there. Let's bring drop shipping in. There are a lot of SME companies out there that didn't react quick enough, They didn't get onto the digital bandwagon, They didn't have the systems there, but they still got a vital product. Let's fill that gap where. We can go out and be the drop shipper, get that product to market, get it on the global, build that relationship with everybody, uh, get that value chain up and running with SME. Let's be that proudly South African and do that promotion. I think there's big value out there now for drop shipping and focusing on the local market, um, as I said. And from there, we can all grow. I think it comes down, as we refer, we don't refer to suppliers and customers anymore. We refer to them as business partners. Because if your customer succeeds, I succeed. If my supplier succeeds, I succeed. If I succeed, my supplier succeeds. So let's change that onset. Let's change that look. I think there's still a lot of opportunity here in South Africa. And it's why I've chosen to focus where I am on small and medium enterprise, to get that value. So, yeah, I think there's still a lot of opportunity out there. And I think dropshipping is one of the the great ones out there to look at for local.
0: Well, thank you for that. And uh, thanks also for asking the major question. Is Wish a scam or not? I cannot tell you the number of times I've looked at, I've looked at you that. Really, who off.
1: really wants a $5 <laughs> sneaker anyway?
0: Yeah, as you can see, guys, on Table Manners for Robots, we address the important points. You know, we're all about making sure that we, we give you pearls of wisdom. All right. So, Ian, tell me, should we be pricing up or pricing down during this time?
2: Well, yeah, that, that is... Uh... That is a good question, but I think even before this time um, we, we got in, uh, you know, it was it was on everyone's mind. Um, but I think the challenge of, of pricing is is, uh, is not necessarily different than, than before. But um, the situation that we're currently in, I think it's putting a bigger spotlight on it because of, of turnover uh, being under pressure. Um, and every you basically counts. So the reality is, is you cannot sell below cost for, for any extended period of time. That, that's just not going to be possible. But in the same breath, our consumers are also under pressure. Um, so you know it's, it's a vicious circle at the end of the day. But the trick at the end of the day is to price more cleanly or find significantly different cost structures um, that allow you to price your products so that your, your margins are still in place. Um, yet your customer finds, you know, the value in, in the product at the end of the day. Because um, consumers tend to pay for, for perceived value, um, even, even if it's tough times, if, if, you, if you find a product that's, that's valuable to you, you would, you, would, you would pay that bit of extra money for that product. But what should we do? Um, I think, uh, like I mentioned, strengthen your brand so that your perceived value for your brand is, is a lot higher. Um, make sure that you recover and, and you manage your costs very closely. Um, like you mentioned before, our margins are, are tight during, during COVID, um, but even before COVID, you know, during the, the recession that we were uh, experiencing. Um, know the competition and, and what your comp- competition is doing out there, so that will also give you a, a bit of an idea. Um, and understand your market. Um, know what your ideal customer is like, so that you can target that customer at the end of the day. Um, and then I would also say innovate. Um, if you if you look at the, the raw company, raw coffee company in Dubai, um, that actually just used to sell B2B, and they had roughly 40 deliveries per day that they did. Um, they decided in COVID that they had to do something, and they went to, with, with a B2C approach. And that 40 deliveries per day ended up being 150 deliveries a day, just by changing their focus. Uh, but ultimately, um, at, in the end of the day, cash is reality. Um, and if you need to to make a sale, uh, to generate the cash, um, even if you have to, you know, cut away some margin, um, so be it. Because at the end of the day, you need to live to to to, to trade another day. Mm, mm, very interesting.
0: I mean, it's good that you use the coffee example here. Um, we have a question coming through from Wetu, who is asking. Um, you know, the the question here is, uh, I would like to open a coffee store in Cape Town. Um, and, and uh, you know, there's a discussion here about the location of the coffee store. But ultimately, the question is, um, do you think it would be a good idea to open a coffee shop in the city?
1: Yeah. I'll take that one, There, <laughs> I think. Oh, go, Mike. <laughs> so if we look at that um, there's a very good example here in Menland and Main in Pretoria there was a guy that these container shops that, that are popping up everywhere I think they're a fabulous idea pre-COVID but I think if you then there was this other guy here in Johannesburg that had the TikToks or the tuc I can't remember to pronounce those right that had a coffee machine in the back and what he used to do is he used to target all the events and outside um, the JSE I think If you can make your business mobile Mm. and you can offer that value of perception and you can get out to your customers um, you can hit the cities on the weekend you can go to cape town and hit the parks Uh, it all depends if you're going to focus just on coffee make it mobile if you're going to do a bakery then i would focus in an old part where the tourists are where everybody comes in so it really depends on what as ian mentioned who's your market are you City of Cape Town's lovely, but on a Saturday afternoon and a Sunday, it's dead city. Everybody's out in out in the wine, bins. everybody's out there. So it really know your market, like Ian said. Um, yeah, that's a fabulous opportunity. I'm an avid coffee uh, 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 buyer and drinker. I'm going to buy coffee when I retire and win the Euro Lotto is going to buy my coffee plantation. But um, right now, I think as Ian is is uh, alluding to. Know your customer, know your market. Um, I feel brick and mortar is on its way out, especially with COVID. Um, so yes, I would say it's not a bad idea. Everybody loves coffee. It's one of the fastest growing luxury goods. Um, yeah, just know your market. Mm-hmm. All
0: right. I think that's a, that's a very good point. And I think that you're insisting mm-hmm. upon doing good, accurate research, looking at data, not just jumping to conclusions. And I think if there's anything that's coming up as a very strong uh, theme throughout the entire Unite for Small series, it's that single point. Decision-making has to be a lot more precision in a post-pandemic future. You know, if if you're making notes, write that down. Your decision-making has to be based on data. It cannot be based on gut feel. Because how, pray tell me, do we make gut feel decisions in an environment where we have no gut feel that that actually has um has a place you know our gut feel no longer has a place in the in the post-pandemic environment because we've never had to deal with this before so how do we expect to employ gut feel at this time we can't we have to use data and 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 you know it's one thing to say that you know let's abandon brick and mortar and let's go completely online i personally my kind of gut feel is telling me we should do that but who knows maybe there could be something that's happening in the city bowl in cape town that might play into tando where favor so your advice about examining the data examining the actual uh what's going on on the ground going and surveying businesses looking at hours looking at the times that people are buying coffee those people who are in fact going back to um the office looking at all of those factors looking at the fact that um you know the city bowl um, is sort of protected from load shedding that might still be an incentive for a lot of business owners to go there That could be a reason why copy would still be relevant in that area So there's many factors to consider so do your homework mm. Absolutely Great. and make your decisions yeah. rely on data and not on sentiment and, and pure
2: opinion Okay, good. Correct. Uh, Karishan. i just going to add, yeah. add go to ahead. that mm-hmm. Um like you mentioned, do the investigation and see if there's not a possibility to. I'm going to make my own word here. E-commerceify your your business because that's what the roca coffee company did. They they work on on orders that come um, come in you know via the internet and and then they go and deliver those those cups of coffee. Mm, mm, very interesting. You know. So on that note, earlier Ian, you
0: mentioned in your earlier answer, you mentioned the pressure on margins, and I think that that's. Um, uh, very relevant at the stage there's there's so much pressure on margins we don't know necessarily exactly how profitable we are and uh, you know we we've all we've gone through a period of just scrambling 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 and now we're kind of like um, stopping and while the dust settles we're trying to figure out how profitable are we as a business so how do we as business leaders how do we keep a good handle on these costs of ours
2: yeah that that is that's always the a, a good question so Managing the bottom line has always been extremely important. And and if you understand your input cost um, that your business model is built on, because, I mean, when you started your business, your business model was built on a certain set of of costs, Um, you can ensure that you manage or limit those costs where possible. And um, that should impact your bottom line at the end of the day. So um, there are a couple of things I can think of, you know, like manage and, and monitor your deviations from your normal cost structure. And if there are deviations, immediately address those deviations and and analyze and and understand why those deviations are there. Those deviations might be relevant due to the the, the way that the market is is, uh, changing, or it might be because of of certain inefficiencies. Um, Then go ahead and embrace technology. Uh, Because if if you don't embrace technology, you might not have the systems, the the proper systems in place um, that can assist you with, with cutting cost or to to handle the cost better um, because your system will will help you identify inefficiencies um, and waste it and, and also alert you regarding to those deviations um, that I mentioned before uh, because it's very important to manage those deviations. Uh, and if you do carry stock, maybe maybe look at adopting a lean stock management system. Um, like Michael mentioned before with his with business mm-hmm. idea with the whole drop shipping approach, make... Make stock, if it's possible, make uh, the stock carrying someone else's uh, responsibility and, and not yours. Um, you know, outsource non-core business activities. Um, if it's not part of your core and it dis- it, it's distracting your focus from from your core business, um, you know, look at outsourcing that. Yeah, cancel any unused services um, that, that is causing additional input uh, cost. Um, look at going green. I know the, the going green is, is uh, fairly expensive, but at the end of the day in the long term you're going to you're going to save on input costs Um, and when escom decides to flick the switch um, and hello darkness my old friend then you're up and running and you can still you can still continue uh, working Um, and and avoid penalties um, by paying your suppliers on time Um, look at look at repetitive tasks that that also influence your cost and automate those tasks but at the end of the, the day, ensure that you don't have disparate systems um, and that all costs and revenues are recorded correctly in real time um, on a transaction by transaction basis so that you're able to monitor your, your and manage your margins. Um, because you don't want to to get today's news t- tomorrow, then it's already too late because then, you know, the ship has already sailed and you've already lost a lot of money. Um so the key is real time. You know, have your have your information real time so that you can react on these um, uh, uh, these, these deviations in cost. Um, and then basically go and identify your risks and know those risks and in the in the bit and, and manage those risks with your platforms, your digital tools, and, and, and monitor those areas. Um, so if you don't have anything in place to, that can assist you um, basically at the end of the day to manage your cost, you, you're flying blind. Um, yeah, and sooner or later you're gonna you're gonna hit a brick wall. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a very
0: very valid advice. <laughs> really making sure that we monitor our costs, keep them as variable as possible, reduce fixed costs where we can, make sure that um, we're paying out when money's coming in. So those are all fantastic uh, pieces of advice. And I think that, you know, uh, it's, it's one thing for us to say these things, but to, to put them into effect requires some degree of insight and systemization. In order for me to mm. be able to make a call on where I'm wasting money, I'm going to need to see a clear list of where the money is going. And, and you know, I'm going to need to see those suppliers um, that are offering me favorable terms and those that are not. So all of these, um, you know, decisions do depend on insight. And, and if we don't have the systems to give us that insight into how we're paying and how we're managing costs, it becomes very difficult to implement what you're saying. So thank you for that, um, Ian, again. I think I want to sure. just, um, you know, spend a second here um, uh, requesting that, uh, number one, please, if you do have a question, uh, please put it into the QA box. I do have some questions coming through. I'm going to ask that you please put your question into the QA uh, box and not just the, the chat box. In fact, uh, to be honest, I would prefer just the Q&A box. It just makes it easier for me to get to everyone and to keep track of what's happening. So that's just a quick favor from, uh, from my side. Uh, the next thing is that um, we do depend on your feedback in order for us to continue building out these shows and, and, and giving you quality content. We want your feedback. So please take a second to um, click the link that Taryn will put into the chat box. And um, there you'll find a few questions where it's just a few drop down answers. So it's gonna take you no time at all to give us some rapid feedback, but we really value your feedback. And we do want as many of those feedback forms as possible. So please take a minute and and complete that. We're not at the end of the show. We just passed the halfway mark. We're getting into the meat of the discussion, so don't leave us just yet. But do start completing your feedback forms, because that's already going to give us some insight. On that note, I want to just uh, go over to JK. JK has placed a question in the question box. As South African businesspersons and, and or entrepreneurs with vast pools of knowledge and know-how, what is your advice for digital advertising opportunities in South Africa in light of ESCOM and power supply and crime and vandalism? When I say digital uh, advertising, I'm talking about remote content, con- um, controlled um, uh, totes, kiosks, bus stop advertising, train station advertising, traffic light um, intersection advertising. So, you know, just my knee-jerk reaction is that no matter what the traditional methods you've you've employed uh, Pre-pandemic the reality is that you have to change your advertising strategy post pandemic whether we like it or not We have been forced more aggressively into the digital realm I'm not going to comment too heavily on the relevance or the continued relevance of the more traditional forms of advertising like bus stops, etc However, I will say um, that you are going to have to rethink the strategy in general. It has to, even if you don't abandon old formats, you're going to have to start introducing new formats more and more and more. You know, consider things like uh, going onto YouTube and putting, uh, uh, you know, uh, some YouTube video advertising. Maybe consider advertising on um, Spotify. Maybe uh, consider some other formats where you know people are going to be uh, showing up a little bit more regularly than just at the bus stop because things are changing and things have changed. Um, I'm not sure, uh, guys, whether you want to give that a stab in terms of digital advertising at this point.
1: I just want to uh, reiterate what you were saying, Glenn. Um, I was listening to 702 yesterday, and Sandrell came onto, onto the news. And during Level 5, Level 3, and Level 4 lockdown, they've seen a decrease in eTolls, the controversial eTolls um, uh, revenue take on. Now, this just brings me to the back back to the fact that I think bus and billboard and all those type of advertising I'm going to take a huge knock we're going to see in the future now with the drive for everybody to be working remotely um, and the drive to be working at home and being uh, the work being done there less people are traveling you can see it through uh, insurance agencies jumping on the the bandwagon with uh, discovery saying they'll give you 25 percent 25 percent of your premiums back if you drive less than 250 you've got Uh, Naked insurance coming back where my neighbor got a quote for his car because he hardly drives anymore at 80 rand a month. It's unseen. So I think as you're 100% correct, there are so many new digital avenues coming up. Shopify, I mean uh, Spotify, YouTube music, where you could slot your ad in. I think it's embracing the digital age. Mm. With this COVID, it has, I've heard a, a frightening um, statistics, not frightening. It's actually a, a very good statistic. Mm-hmm. Is that with this COVID, we've been slingshot four years in advance into online shopping. They wow. haven't seen this precedent in online shopping, and they predicted it's, it would have taken us. If we had stayed on the same course without COVID, we would have taken us four years to get to where we are today.
0: Wow, that's a fantastic datum. Jeez. Um So you know, I, I love this discussion about how business is actually moving forward and how we are being forced into this new future that we Mm. that we were going to get into anyway but we were just accelerated into that reality so on that note a lot of the South African businesses have still uh, or still continue to pride themselves on their knack they've always done things a certain way in this case it might be advertising in other cases it might be the way they measure their input costs or the way they keep track of their business costs or even how they just keep track of their recipes you know they pride themselves on their knack and um, you know they, not, they, 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 they refute the need for systems or a more um, methodical way of going about things what is your response to that
1: uh, Mike um, look I am not disputing the fact that business owners SME business owners don't know what they, they're doing they do know what they're doing they wouldn't be trading for five six seven ten a year um, you know the the scenario comes down if you try if your business lasts past a thousand days you are successful. So you're doing something right. You're not your your decision making, your assumptions and all that are doing something right. But with us being flung so quickly into the digital age because of COVID and where we are, it's your 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 thinking and your decision making has to speed up as well. If you don't have the right data in, in line in the system or a reliable system, you can't make that decision. You can't afford to get out of your chair now, walk across your factory, outside your door, down the stairs, across the parking lot to go talk to your, your uh, sales manager because you can't get him on the phone because he's trying to make deals. You can't afford to, as Ian mentioned, not have your recipes in a system to see how the cost are affecting your business. You need that information on hand. You need that business continuity. If I'm a business owner and I'm out of the customer, I don't want to have to get on the phone in front of my customer and have that perception of he doesn't know my business. I want to have that in my hand going, like, Ah, Mr. Customer, I see your orders are down by twenty percent. What can I do to help you? Why are we sitting in this position? Or, oh, you're thirty days behind payment. Listen, what can we do to help you help me move forward? So I think, yes, I'm not disputing the fact that business owners don't know what they're doing. They know their industry, they know why they got in, they've got the passion, they've got the knowledge. It's just added help now. It's that little boost up into the market to get you going, get you going first, uh, uh, quicker and faster. If we look at the PPE example, a lot of people jumped on the PPE, uh, jumped on uh, hand sanitizers. If you didn't have the data at your hands to see what your equipment can and can't do, what your sales, what your stock holdings were, it took you two times longer to get to the market where the guys that knew the information on their stockholdings, they knew what their machines could do, they knew what the capabilities were, they knew their their marketplace, they could make that decision, turn around, and they were up and running. And then they were going. So I do believe I have nothing against people's knack, and there's been some great business decisions to buy Apple shares because some madman told them not to. But it comes to a point where you need assistance, and you need that leg up. And that's what systems give you. data gives you the leg up over your competition. Okay. Absolutely, well said. I really like that.
0: Um, so we got um, a comment here from Rodney. Before I give you the comment, uh, guys, um, another call to action from my side. Please take a second, click the link in the chat box and complete the survey. Very vital for us. This gives us feedback on the show. It's your way of communicating directly to us. And it's also your way of reaching out to the speakers. If you have deeper questions, if you'd like to have a one-to-one conversation, we can help you with that. We can coordinate that. Please put that comment into your uh, survey link and we will be sure to make arrangements post this event. We're not quite done. We have a little bit more to go. We're really getting into the meat and the heat of the discussion here. So um, let's go to Rodney's point. Um, Rodney says, listening to your guest speakers um, is for me probably worth getting, uh, he says, it is for me uh, probably worth getting a website advert or something similar that is not too expensive. Uh, is a website expensive and would be, w- would it be worth it? Are there website designers available to do this, not too expensive? What would a price range for a small business, um, you know, what, would, what, what is the price range for a small business? Um, Rodney, my knee jerk, I'm just going to give you my answer here. Um, I think that this does require a little bit of a check-in because we're not sure whether you're referring to a full end-to-end, um, uh, you know, e-commerce platform where you're actually trading product, which in my mm. opinion, you should be doing. If, you, if you're if you thinking website at this point, you shouldn't just be thinking of putting a, an online brochure together. You should be thinking about how can you trade and transact and make money from your website that's how you've got to be thinking at this time so the scope is not just about a website but it's about making money from the website that should be the question otherwise you know it's just a website for the sake of a website i do feel um, rodney it is my advice that you put in a little note into the survey form and we will have a broader discussion about it uh, with you one-to-one because i do think that it warrants a deeper dive so thank you for that um for that rodney um uh matthew i'm just gonna give you a quick comment here from matthew he says Kirushin, i know you are a big advocate for digital ads and uh digitalizing africa we are we uh, as we a digital marketing agency as you know okay good so matt it's a little bit of a long comment there and i will um go through it in a second but what i'm going to do now is i'm just going to make sure that uh you know i jump to a question before i read the detail of your um response matt um so, let's talk customer situations. Ian, let's go back to you for a second. Any any customer situation that stands out to you in your time of doing this work?
2: Yeah, well, there, there are a couple of but One, one in specific, um, we, we, we came across a, a customer that um, had, you know, they had the, the normal debit and credit system in place to, to get those transactions and invoicing done. But from an operational point of view, they were on a paper-based system. Um, and, and the, the big issue with with being on that paper-based system was that, um, like I mentioned before, if you don't have the information at hand, you're basically flying blind. So you'd have sales representatives uh, selling the product um, and they would not know if they're actually sticking to to the margins because, uh, I mean, it, it could have happened that the new stock that you brought in, especially because they, they had raw materials coming in from overseas being affected by exchange rates and, and, and landed cost. Um, that sales representative might be pricing the product and he might be selling below cost. And they would only find that out after the, the quotation was accepted and after they would, they would start with uh, producing the products. Um, and, and from a production perspective, they, they also did not have scheduling you know ready, So they, they did not see what was um, on the production floor and what, what they were busy with. And if they had the capacity... To basically uh, support the, the the new sales that came in, so this caused major issues for them with with stock losses um, and with actually losing some customers as well. So when they ended up uh, um, addressing this, which was a very good point in time, because if if they if they did not address it at that point of time, I don't believe that they would be around uh, today, um, you know, as a success story for, for themselves. Um, so. Yeah, that, that's, from that side, the, the major problems that they, they were facing was they they were flying blind because they didn't have information. They couldn't manage their, their production floor. They were losing business that way, um, and, it, and it was a major issue for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, go ahead, uh, Mike.
1: And just stepping off from that, and this is one of our customers, because we had the proper systems in place, they were one of the first ones to step onto the, the well, I wouldn't say the full PPE um, bandwagon, but they were able to to repurpose their machineries to get sanitizer to the market when we had that sanitizer shortage. They were able to keep the continuity of their business throughout throughout the whole of Africa running because they had the correct systems in place. So it just goes to show a little bit investment and a partnership over time can help you through the, the bad times.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a very valid point, guys. I'm glad that you uh, that you were very frank about that. Uh, jumping back to Matt's comment here, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read a piece of um, Matt's comment here. Uh, he says, and I and I really buy buy into this strongly. He says, I just want to bring it to South Africa uh, South African business owners' attention that it's actually very inexpensive to advertise on Facebook, Instagram, Google, and YouTube in South Africa. The competition is much lower in South Africa, and most South Africa businesses simply aren't running ads like overseas. To be honest, South African clients are much easier for us to get amazing results with using digital advertising than overseas. This is simply because there's so much less competition in South Africa. In my opinion, there's real opportunity here. Okay, good. Thanks so much, um, Matt, for that. And that's absolutely true. Uh, we find that, um, that the rates of bidding, the way in which these platforms charge for advertising, because there's less competition, the bids are lower, and you can get a really good deal in South Africa from a digital advertising point of view. So thanks a lot. Very valid um, comment from Matt. All right, guys, as we start heading towards the close of the show, we're not quite done. But please, just another reminder, please complete a survey so that we we know exactly where you stand and, 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 and what you're thinking. If you have deeper inquiries, if you want to talk websites, if you want to talk e-commerce, if you want to talk, you know, you have a query for any of our speakers, just let us know on your, on your uh, feedback forms and we will be sure to answer every single response that we get. All right. Now let's go into... Um, you know, cash flow. Um, and before we wrap, I think we absolutely need to confront this difficult point of cash flow. Um, if you could just give us some practical advice.
2: Yeah, I'm like, I think we've all heard the, the saying, revenue is vanity, profits are sanity, and, and, and cash is reality at the end of the day. So understand your numbers, check that P&L, but don't forget about the balance sheet. Um, so if you do have, have debt out there, make sure that you manage it effectively. Avoid using your credit card to pay for small debt because credit cards normally have a, a higher interest rate. Um, run a tight ship regarding your debtors because, I mean, you, you, you can have the most beautiful income statement, um, but you can't pay someone with, with, with a financial statement. So make sure that you manage those debtors and you get, your, get paid on time. Um, don't tie up your ca- cash in, in stock like we mentioned before. Try and run a, a lean stock system. Um, budget stick to your budget and 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 I think if you if you do that um, from a, from a cash point of view and cash flow you, you should be able to uh, uh, to have cash in the bank uh, to pay to what needs to be paid all right so that's that's a great point on, on cash and I
0: think very simple practical advice and I think that um, the, the the concept of cash is king has never been truer and more real to, to business owners. And I really think that COVID was an opportunity to just get real. And it was a little bit of a reset, mm. you know. Uh, you know, there were lots of um, interesting things going on with businesses doing well and uh, things looking great on paper. And, and of course, uh, COVID hit and then, you know, the reality showed itself. You know, unless you have yeah. cash, you're not going to survive. And and all that wonderful paperwork and all of that wonderful wealth on paper means very little in the absence of cash flow. So I so I, I fully agree with the sentiment, Mike. If you wouldn't mind giving us a quick um, your viewpoint on inventory, especially during uh, unpredictable times. You know, you know we need to manage inventory. Uh, cleverly, we need to know. Like, for example, with COVID, there's less disposable income. What do we buy extra of, and what do we dispose of? And do we even
1: need to manage inventory? What are your thoughts? Look, inventory in any organization, small, big, large, is is one of the biggest overheads you can have, and it's overheads that people don't really. Understand is that you still need space warehouse space to keep it in if you don't have that warehouse space You've got to rent it. It's insurance. If something happens theft uh, Fire damage you need that overhead as well So when it comes to running a a stock management, I always say run it as lean as possible Make sure you know your lead times make sure you're talking to your suppliers that goes back to my original um, discussion where become business partners with your suppliers be honest with your suppliers um, I had a customer in the textile industry that came in, you know, had millions and millions of rands sitting on the floor. We implemented a system, started six months. I get a call from the owner saying there's something wrong with the system, something wrong with the system. I said, what's wrong with the system? He says, no, I feel I'm not holding enough stock. I said, you are holding enough stock. We've planned. We The system is planned. We've planned with you. We know when your lead times are coming. We know when you're coming in and out of the of the, um uh oh, oh, this, your your stock has being uh, delivered. Uh, he's he he got more money back in his bank than he had sitting on his balance sheet. And as Ian said, that was that was cash he could use during COVID to keep his business running. So I think know your stock, know what you are selling, know what your customers are wanting. Goes back to the information on hand, and. Uh sit with your supplier, make sure you know how long it's going to take lead time to get in. Um, don't go and just produce or buy because you're scared that people are going to want it later. It's worst thing on hand is having stock that doesn't move, especially if it's got a expiry date. Um, trends change, so you've got to be very careful. I'm a, a true believer almost on uh, the same method that they have in Japan with the car factories and just-in-time stock. Um, unfortunately, here being at the tip of Africa and being customs in the post office, it's, it's a little bit harder to achieve, but start focusing on where can I cut my stock? Where can I move away from a international supplier to a local supplier? There's always someone locally that can produce the same quality at a better price and give to you on time very very
0: pragmatic advice then i really like that the the concept of moving uh, your uh, supply chain locally less dependence on uh, border um, regulations or border changes again COVID was a massive learning experience So moving a lot of that um, purchasing into south africa very 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 pragmatic advice i really like that so on that note uh, folks we're actually at time Uh, today's show uh, seemed to have gone faster than i realized Uh, We haven't gotten around to absolutely all of the questions and comments, so apologies for that. We absolutely will continue engaging with you. If you'd like to have your questions answered, just pop them into a survey and let us know what you would like us to answer for you, and we will respond to you one-to-one. We'll give you some tailored um, interaction and engagement. On that note, thank you so much for attending the show. I think it was a very valuable show, very pragmatic. I've certainly learned uh, quite a lot. Thank you um, to both of our speakers. I think they've done a fantastic job in bringing some good insight to us. Thank you all again. And that's a wrap.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.